0: Thanks very much, Mike. I feel like I should have a joke in here now. I haven't got any jokes. Anyway, I have to crack on. Anyway, yeah, my name's Ben. Um, for for those uh, who don't know me, uh, I'm speaking tonight on what is the good news. Uh, there's going to be four sermons uh, on this. Uh, the first three are what is the good news, and then the fourth one is kind of what do we do with that. So uh, please don't expect a sort of perfect, linear, uh, immaculate gospel presentation that nicely sums up uh, the whole thing. Uh, I'm, I'm simply going to uh, do my best to talk about the good news, what that is, um, and then others will be sort of adding their own emphasis, setting their own, their own light and their own uh, understanding and, and whatnot on it. And everything that gets preached um, from up here rightly has a kind of good gospel fragrance to it. Every, you know, what we sing about, the creeds we say, the, you know, these, all, all these things have good gospel fragrance. But it's important, really important to take some time, and it's a great opportunity to do that, uh, to discuss that, what that foundation of our faith is, um, the gospel. Um, to, you know, to ensure that we are, we are really grounded in that, in that foundation. And uh, we heard in the reading that Paul gives, it's almost like a kind of uh, summary of, of uh, an emphasis on, on the gospel and what that is. Um, to, I'm not going to be referencing that loads, to be honest. I'm not really going to be working my way through that. Um, I was really struggling to work out what reading, because I'm going to be whipping about so much tonight and flicking through um, different bits and, and throughout a, a large part of the Bible um, so I will be thinking, you know, going to different bits, and 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 if you don't feel any pressure to kind of catch up, um, but do flick with me if you'd like to. And if I talk about something that you think, oh, I don't really know what's what's that, um, then don't worry either. Um, it's not about spectacular Bible knowledge, but uh, try and I'll just try and talk about the themes of God um, and of the gospel. So good news. Good news. I I remember when my brother uh, was in the process of proposing to his now wife, Emma. And uh, we were talking it over and he was trying to work out you know dates, what we can can I do, how can I do it so that because he wanted to take her up to Wales next to sea, lovely uh, North Norfolk coastal region. And uh, and he was thinking how can I get her up there when you know, she's not going to know what's going on it's going to be obvious, how can I do it all these things were going on um, and then he, he finally managed it and he proposed, She said yes, which was good and then um, she came back we had a bit of a surprise party and it was all really amazing and I was just telling everyone I kind of started to think you know, actually this is a bit ridiculous you know, someone would ask me how I was and it was like a half hour response um, about everything that's going on and this is fantastic uh, because it was good news and I just wanted to convey, you know, something's really good. There's really good news. And I wanted to sort of share that. And I think we're all a bit like that, aren't we? Something really good happens. And there's a natural, um, there's a kind of maybe excitement about that or good feeling we share that with people around us. Maybe just people who are very close to us. Or maybe for some of us, we kind of splash it all over Facebook. See if we can beat our personal best on likes. Um, LAUGHTER uh, so what is the gospel? It's good news. That's what it means, gospel, good news. Um, so how is it different in, in the sense that it's good news, the good news like my brother getting married? Both good news. Uh, but I do think it is somewhat, somewhat different, and I'll try and uh, pick up a bit on what that is. Uh, both are good news. But then Jesus said in Mark 8, um, he said, you could, whoever comes after me must lose his life for me and for the gospel, losing our life for uh, the gospel. And then Paul talked about being in chains for the gospel, being in chains for the gospel. Uh, And today that gospel changes lives, and that's a real biblical theme, and by it we are saved. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, right at the start, he said, you know, I don't want you to forget this fundamental, this gospel, which is the most foundational thing for us. And then he goes into that. And there's also the sense that if I, if I kind of you know, tell someone about a wedding, we all kind of know what a wedding is. We get that. That's a concept we all understand. They're normally good. Most of us like them. Uh, and so if I say to you, oh, there's a wedding, and I'm really happy, then you can understand what that is, what I'm going to, why I would be happy about that, why you can be happy for me in that, and why we can sort of smile and laugh about it. But with the gospel, that's not quite the case, is it? We come, we come with the gospel, and that's not a concept that everyone is familiar with. There aren't references there anymore in society. Um, it's not something with which everyone is acquainted. And even, even some people who would um, say they were Christians, you know, would come at it and would say things and there's not always a sense of familiarity, uh, familiarity with that concept. Um, and so it seems to me more than, for all these things, more than kind of simply laid out information that, I can kind of acquire because I get told it and then I tell it to you and you can acquire it and it's, it seems to be more than that. Something more than we can just kind of simply possess in one sense but almost something which possesses me which changes me which, um, which continually changes me. Something which, with which I lose my life for. Not in a negative sense like losing a tenor, but kind of uh, something that I choose to give up my life for. Uh, And Paul described it in the sense of everything that that I've got, so the world says I've got so much to to live for. He said that's all worthless um, compared to the surpassing greatness of this. So the gospel um, possesses me and continually transforms me and changes me. Not because it is inherently uh, special or has some kind of magic formula. But fundamentally, because of who it's about and what it claims about him. And this is the fundamental claim that the gospel makes that Jesus is Lord. That's my take on it. This is the fundamental claim that the gospel makes Jesus is Lord. And I'm not really sure that our culture fully kind of understands that word, Lord. Um, anymore, what it means, too much Downton Abbey or the apprentice with Lord Sugar, or uh, I don't know, all these sorts of things. But Lord, what does it mean for him to be Lord? Uh, I think ruler, master. He's supreme in the universe and has all authority on heaven and in earth. Jesus is Lord. In every realm of anything that exists anywhere, he is King and is all-powerful over his dominion. Jesus is Lord, the fundamental claim, the foundational claim of the gospel. And he is the one that the gospel is really concerned with. Uh, what makes him Lord? What makes him Lord? Why do we know he's Lord? What, what for us can we say that is why he's Lord? Uh, it's because he rose again. Because he rose again. Because he has risen and beat death, he is Lord. Before that, and if that hasn't happened, then death reigns supreme. It's the one thing that uh, will continue to, or or has enslaved mankind. It's the one thing we can't beat. We can never work our way around it. No amount of technology or human thought will ever get round death. It's always there. We don't like to talk about it very much. Um, there's all sorts of phrases used, I think, now um, in, in hospitals that try and get around it as well. And, uh, and, but, but death is always there. It's something we would never be able to conquer or get past. But actually, Jesus has gotten past that. And Paul says in, in, in that 1 Corinthians reading, um, chapter 15, verse 26, Paul said, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And you know those films where um, or books, or any kind of narrative where um, the, the good guy is going through all the bad guys. And he starts off with the easy ones, and then he kind of slowly progresses, doesn't it? And finally, the big showdown is with the most powerful uh, enemy, the, and, and it's that, that sense that, well, if he wins, then he's the most powerful, but if he doesn't, then he's not. And of course, Jesus does win. He did rise again, which means that he has destroyed the last enemy, there is nothing left. Everything has been uh, and will be put under his feet. And Romans 1 verse 4 says, uh, Paul's, in, Paul's introduction to his letter to the Romans, uh, verse 4, and who, th-, this is Jesus, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. By his resurrection from the dead, we know okay, he is Lord. He is that one who is supreme. Um, and all things must uh, come under him. Uh, uh, there is a bit of a backstory to that, which I'll go into now. Uh, and I'll, I'll go from the beginning and try and make my way through fairly quickly. Uh, creation in the beginning has, uh, has a voice, the Bible says. There's lots of bits where it says creation uh, almost shouts the glory of God. It almost expresses something of who God is. Um, beginning of John says, "In the beginning, um, in the beginning, uh, there was there was Jesus, and um, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but and all things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made. And that creation expresses something of its Creator, and His finest creation, His best creation, um, was people." Uh, And they've been on a bit of a rocky journey, uh, people, over the years. And Jonathan preached a couple of weeks ago on the first bump in that rocky journey, so to speak. Um, But essentially there was a a beautiful garden and a God who was intimately involved with his people in a relationship with them. Uh, Their meaning, their purpose, their value, um, everything about who they were. They, They knew what that was about. They knew they had that relationship Um, with their God. And it says they were naked. They were naked with each other and with him. Uh, And I think that's trying to convey something, not just that they didn't have any clothes, but actually that their whole lives were laid bare. And they they had nothing to hide from each other. They had no shame before one another. Uh, It sounds idyllic, really, utopian, and kind of unrealistic, really, to our minds now. We hide. We've got so much hidden. We've got so much that actually only... Um, ourselves and the Lord and the Lord will ever really know that, that that kind of feeling of being completely open, no shame, nothing like that. that was how it started. Um, now, I love a good game of hide and seek. I don 't know if you're a fan of hide and seek. Uh, we, we run a Monday a club on Monday here for 5 to elevens, and they're always, every week, the one thing I know they'll ask is, can we play hide-and-seek? Because we accidentally once let them play it in here, and the amount of great hiding places is unreal. Uh, and so we kind of stand about, and they'll just hide and, and seek for, for a little while. And I wonder if you know when the first game of hide-and-seek was. What was the first game of hide-and-seek ever? Well, I think it was pretty early on. Um had this intimate relationship with God, and he would walk with them, it says, in the garden. He would, and he would, uh, uh, this is me paraphrasing again a little bit, but he, I like to think, you know, he'd walk towards them, he'd walk through the long grass, swish, swash, swish, swash, and uh, and they'd hear him, and they'd hear God come in, and it was fantastic. Uh, you can tell I do kids' talks normally, can't you? And... Um, and, he'd, and, and they'd spend time with God. Uh, but one time they actually, um, I mean, he was creator and they were created. So there was a kind of, you know, he was definitely, uh, he wasn't like a matey mate in the sense that they weren't kind of on an even level. And God had said to them, These are, you know, there's a kind of way to live. Um, do not, whatever you do, do anything that I've told you not to do. And he, he told them to do, not to do one thing. Uh, many of you know the story and anyway they do it they disobey god uh, they rebel from him and they they say well, you know, we can kind of you know we, we live our own lives can't we? we can kind of choose what we want to do um, and they rebel from him and instantly they know what they've done and suddenly they've got something to hide and they hear that noise swish swash swish swash and this time it's not happy it's not it's, oh, oh no god's come in what have we done and the first game of hide-and-seek. But it wasn't a fun game of hide-and-seek. And they hide. And God, um, you know, the, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that God, uh, I don't know if you've played a game of hide-and-seek, and there's always that awful seeker who gets bored, can't find you, and then they're just like, right, I can't find you, come out, you win. And that's not what you want, is it? Because you found a really good hiding place. And they're just going to watch where it is for next time. Um, Uh, Or even worse, the seeker who gets bored and just, you know, you're there for like two hours and then you come down and they're just watching telly and you're furious. Um, God is not like that. God is the greatest seeker. He's never given up. He continues to pursue his people and pursue them and pursue them. There is nowhere that he will not and hasn't gone to pursue his people, even to the point of humbling himself to become, the Bible says, less than nothing, to, uh, to take the form of a, sl- a servant and be made in human likeness. God himself, Lord of the cosmos, supreme in the universe, uh, taking on human likeness, humbling himself that far. And not just that, but being born in a stinky stable in an animal feeding trough that's how far he will go and go to pursue his people, and then live this life on earth—the most amazing life, really, that's ever been lived. Uh, much of it spent with people, not just with the nice ones uh, who would be fit for someone like Jesus, a king, uh, but with the outcasts, with people who no one else had time for. And he, he went around and healed people, both body and and heart. And he talked about lots about this kingdom of God, and he showed what it was like. He showed what his priorities were as king. It wasn't a normal life by any standards. Instead, it was a perfect life. And I don't, unfortunately, have the time to go through it all and try and give some, you know, something of how good it was. But I did try. And, I wanted to land on one thing, and I landed on John thirteen. So you might actually just want to uh, flick there with me. It's on page seven hundred and sixteen. And a story, a story in there of of Jesus. Uh, Starting at verse 4, and this is just before the Passover, so they're having a big dinner together, him and his 12 disciples. And it says, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, And began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I can, uh, I can understand, actually, Peter's hesitation there. Um, back in the day when uh, Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, there was a, no motorised transport, so animals were heavily involved in the transport sector of society, and animals go to the loo wherever they want, and, uh, and there was lots of sandals being worn, and it was just a really nasty situation um, as far as feet go. And I really don't like feet now, um, as much as we most of a shower every day and whatnot. And, uh, and it's actually quite an intimate thing to have someone wash your feet, isn't it? To have someone, I don't know, pick your leg up and get in between your toes. And it's just quite an intimate thing. And actually, you, you, with dirty feet. and I don't, I don't know who I'd let do it, actually, wash my feet. But Jesus wanted to wash their feet. And, um, and it's really a foretaste um, of what was coming. And he left that meal and that night was arrested. And he was put on trial. Lots of false accusations were brought against him. Uh, lots of fo- false witnesses brought forward who had been prepped. Uh, and he stayed silent throughout. He took an opportunity to defend himself to the surprise of the, the, the judges. Um, he just responded to one question when they'd finally finished bringing against him all these false accusations that didn't match up and, and it was all a bit of a shambles. And they just said, are you, are you really the Christ, the God? Um, And he said, yeah, I am, basically, Uh, yes. And they said, well, what do we need more else than that? What do we need more than this blasphemy? And they took him and they beat him and they uh, brutally crucified him. And and what looks like a Jesus who was completely kind of swamped by this unforeseen um, occasion or could look like that um, was actually completely in control, was uh, walking in to what he wanted to do All of of this foretold and planned in the Old Testament um, in the scriptures of the day. And he'd wash their feet and he said, if you want to have any part with me, you you must let me wash you. You've got to make me, um, let me make you clean. And now take their dirty feet and magnify that to look at their hearts and to look at our hearts. Uh, Probably dirtier still. And it's not really our outward appearance that's the problem. That means that Jesus has had to pursue us and pursue us and pursue us. That means that we do hide, that we do run away, that, um, that we, we can't be naked anymore. We can't lay our lives out. We have all these secrets uh, and all this shame, many of us, all of us really. Um, it's not that that's the problem. It's not that, um, sorry, it is that that's the problem, um, that we, we, we have in here have chosen to, to live apart from God, what God has asked of us. In here, we, um, in our lives, we've chosen to say, I am, you know, I'll be the Lord in my life and I'll go ahead and do this or that. And rebel. And that's when we talk about sin. That's what that, that is, to rebel, to go our own way. And, and the, the Bible says that the wages of that sin, the wages of that rebellion, and of. Um, that choice that we made, those the wages for that, are death. And so, in the beginning, when God found them, um, he was forced. I've got to, I've got to kick you out of the garden now. And very soon after that, someone did die. Um, and actually, there's this bit where they're naked, and they don't want to be naked anymore. So God, um, they've put like leaves on themselves, and he says, get rid of them, and he puts this skin on them, this animal skin. And actually, where did that animal skin come from? And instantly we see that there has to be a payment for what has happened. There has to be a sacrifice. Uh, and Jesus goes to the cross. And, you know, you must let me wash you. You must let me make you clean. Otherwise, you have no part with me. And so instead of washing feet, what he does on the cross is pay those wages. Um, pay for that death. And, and we can be made clean. Our hearts can be made clean. All of that which was the rebellion which, in which you turned away from me, that has no part with me. I can't accept that. But let me make you clean, he says. And we can have that intimate relationship once again. And that's what I'm pursuing you for. And so we look at Jesus on the cross and we realize we can have that exchange where he takes the bad stuff and we get his wonderful righteousness so that when a holy God looks on us, he sees no, um, no dirt, but all he sees is, Is clean, cleanliness, and we can have that wonderful relationship with him. Now, I didn't read this, but I started at verse 4. But it says in verse 1, it was before, of John 13, sorry, no need to flick to it. He said, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time would come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Um, Some of you might have been surprised, I don't know, that I actually haven't said love at all up to this point. When the gospel is widely known as the most, um, the, the, the best love story ever told. But actually, I think if I'd have said to you at the beginning, you know, Jesus loves you, I think that probably would have bounced off you a little bit. And the church over, over the years has done a lot of kind of looking at the world and saying, Jesus loves you. But actually, We are imperfect people in an imperfect world. And love for many of us has not been steady and true and has ended up um, in hurt. And we all crave love, but we don't always, we rarely trust it, I think. We crave love, but we rarely trust it. I know that's the case for many people that I've met in my life. And so when we simply say, you know, Jesus loves you, I don't know if that means a whole lot sometimes to people. But certainly this is a great love story about the greatest love that is, that is out there really. And there's John 3.16, 3, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible. Um, doesn't say, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Because I don't think we can measure God's love. I don't think we can try and say it's this much. I don't think we can quantify that, really. That's not for us to quite understand. But actually it says, for for God so loved the world, for God loved the world in this way. This is how you can know his love. That he gave his one and only son. That he's pursued you and pursued you and pursued you and has gone and has has loved you to death. To bring you new life. And so when when we think about God's love, that's, that's, that's the, the way we can know it, isn't it? That's how we can actually get a, a kind of raw grasp on what that is, that sacrificial love of God that makes us clean so we can stand before him in confidence. And he rose again, so we've come full circle. He rose again, uh, and so we can, he's, he has risen again. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. And he sits on the throne as Lord. And that's the Jesus who longs for a relationship with us and who has pursued us and pursued us. We can be made completely clean. We can have a relationship with him. We can have new life in him. And if you're, uh, maybe that's the first time you've heard that. Uh, Maybe you've heard that before, but haven't in, in, in any real sense committed to that Jesus, committed to that relationship that really demands all of us. Um, just, like, just like Peter said, you know, you'll never wash my feet. I'll never actually let you near me. Actually, Jesus demands, you've got to let me in. You've got to call me Lord and you've got to let me wash you clean. You've got to let me be a, a part of your life and be Lord of your life. Um, and that does take some initiative from us to put ourselves out there, say, okay, Jesus, I want to know you. I'm sorry for what you know I've done wrong. Thank you for your forgiveness, and please be a part of my life. And so it does demand something of us in that sense of initiative. And I know there's many here who have loved the Lord for a long, long, long time, and that gospel is just uh, something beautiful that you you know well and have lost your life for. Um, but let's really keep it as that. Uh, as that grounding, that foundation that really is almost a mine that we can keep uh, mining away at. We can keep discovering more and more of the joy of that. Um, and that's why we've got three on it because there's so much more, I'm sure, you're already feeling to explore with that and to go into. But I've taken up enough, enough of your time already. Uh, so yeah, what is the gospel? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Let me pray to finish. Thank you, Lord, that you have pursued us, that you continue to pursue us, um, many of us. Thank you that you're so interested and so uh, long for a relationship with us. And even when uh, we mess it up and we run and hide, you continue to seek us out. Amen.